In this episode of Full Snack Radio, I talked to Ryan Florence about the challenges of building accessible UI components and how he's trying to make that easier with Reach UI. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 97. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, as always, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Ryan Florence. How's it going, Ryan? It's going well. How are you? I'm great. So uh, for anybody who's not familiar with you, do you mind just uh, briefly introducing yourself and talking a bit about what you do? Uh, Sure. So um, I'm uh, mostly known these days for my work in uh, the React community. Um, I started the React Router project. and worked on that for a few years, started a company with Michael Jackson called React Training. Um, we ran around the world uh, training together. Um, Michael's still running React Training, and I've started a new company called Reach, um, where I, I continue to do training and um, been working on some accessible components as well, which is something I've wanted to do for years in React. Um, yeah, so that's me. I got some online courses too and just spend my days working on open source, working on courses and traveling the the world, teaching workshops. That's awesome. uh, Yeah. 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 So uh, the reason that I was uh, excited to have you on the show today is because I saw this Reach UI project that you kind of formally announced uh, pretty recently, I think, like sometime within the last handful of weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. And it looked like a really interesting, really interesting project uh, because I think... You know, working on the modern web these days, uh, so many of us are, are building stuff where we're not totally satisfied with maybe the functionality that we get from kind of native browser controls and stuff. And we find ourselves building all sorts of fancy custom uh, JavaScript components, either with React or Vue or whatever. And I think um, it's easy to sort of not pay enough attention to accessibility when we're replacing a lot of these native browser controls with custom stuff or trying to, you know, add new functionality that's not provided with any sort of, of native controls. And it looks like Reach UI is a, a really interesting project designed to try and make that problem, you know, almost go away for for a lot of uh, people and to just to try and, you know, do a better job at making a lot of this this stuff accessible. So I thought it would be interesting to talk to you about some of the challenges that you're you're trying to tackle there uh, with that and, and what it's been like trying to build, you know, a UI library like that that's so focused on trying to make the uh, experience accessible for people. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing... I've been doing web development for a long time, uh, actually, like, before there was even JavaScript, um, uh, back when we had font tags and, uh, r- really if you knew cell spacing and cell padding on a table, like you were totally employable and you could build the best websites <laughs> possible at the time. Um, so I've kind of watched, um, I've, I've kind of grown up with the web, uh, you know, since a teenager, my first job was actually a web developer and, and now till today where we're building really complex, uh, applications inside of the browser. Um, and so kind of, kind of watching, how that has evolved. Um, it's kind of an unfortunate thing that happened for, um, people, uh, especially people with, um, a visual, uh, vision loss is the web used to be totally accessible to them. Um, there was this browser called the links browser and it would just read the text and, uh, and that, that would work for anybody. And before JavaScript showed up a website for somebody who, um, had, had vision loss was just like for anybody else. You could just read it. Um, but then we started getting really fancy 
with uh, JavaScript and uh, started accidentally hiding a lot of content from a lot of people. And it's not just about uh, blind users. There's there's all sorts of um, all sorts of things to consider for accessibility. Um, but the web kind of got not kind of the web got very uh, inaccessible. Um, and it's just it's just kind of unfortunate. Uh, I I was privileged to get a job working at a company called Instructure, where uh, we built uh, learning management software, mostly for higher education, but all sorts of education. And uh, I got to work with a developer named Aaron Cannon, uh, who is a blind front end developer, which blew my mind when I first heard that you could be a front end developer and yeah. be blind. Um, and he's he's just great guy all around. Um, and that's when I really got exposed uh, to um, making making web UIs accessible. Um, and so he he taught me a lot just working with him. I, I learned a lot, and um, and we had some pretty strict requirements in our app. Uh, we we would get audited uh, by WebAIM and other third parties to make sure that our app was accessible because we couldn't sell to a university or to a college mm-hmm. if we didn't have you know a, a accessibility stamp on the app. Um, so that's that's kind of where I got my experience with it. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting if you look at uh, the world before React showed up uh, in Ember and Ang- Angular and these declarative frameworks. Before these things showed up, um, we had jQuery and Dojo and MooTools, and it was hard to build something like a dropdown or a modal or a tabs component like it just it wasn't something you could just do in five minutes but in react and and in view and all all the all these frameworks they're all great um you can build these interactions for someone using a mouse in like five minutes right a drop down is super easy you just have a little Mm -hmm. bit of state and you say is it open no okay don't render this stuff inside when we click this button change the state to being open okay now render the stuff inside throw some css on it and you're done uh but with, with jQuery and with Dojo and those things, it was harder. And it didn't just take five minutes. Um, and so I think most, th- this is just a, a guess, I haven't done any research on this, but um, I think most of us just kind of bailed on that attempt of even building our own dropdown or building our own modal. And we just go grab a third party one. In Dojo, mm-hmm. we had Digit. In jQuery, we had jQuery UI. So we'd bring in those third party components and we didn't even know that they were accessible. Right, we just brought them in because it was too hard to do by for ourselves. Sure. Yeah. We didn't bring them in for accessibility. We just brought them in because it was hard. Um, and so now we've got all these modern frameworks, and uh, I th- I think this is just a guess, but I think that we um, we've made the web less accessible again. Hmm. So um, because it's just so easy to make a it's mouse true. interaction, like you, you don't find yourself reaching for libraries for these sorts of things anymore. Like you need a modal, you just make a modal. It's not many yeah. lines of code, at least to do it in the sort of naive way that you're, you're kind of talking about. Um, so that, that's definitely an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. You just throw a position fixed on a div and make it like as wide as the whole screen <laughs> and throw a thing inside, put a click handler on the back thing to close it. And like, you think you're done. Um, and so it's, uh, I, I love the modern frameworks, but it, it's another kind of unfortunate side effect with moving forward is we kind of leave behind things that were important that we didn't know about. And that's one of the great abstractions of a React component is that it can do things that you don't know you need to do, right? You just bring in a modal for React and if it's implemented with accessibility in mind, you don't even have to know that you're supposed to trap focus. Yeah. What does that mean? 
trap focuses when the modal opens, if you're using the tab key to navigate through the page, uh, you know how it moves from a link yep. to a button. Yep. Um, it shouldn't bounce behind the modal. Yeah. So if you've got buttons behind the modal and links behind the modal, uh, you can, <laughs> with the keyboard, you're going to be focused behind there, but the modal's still on top of the content. And so you can't actually uh, tell what's going on. So yep. you're supposed to trap that focus inside of the modal. Um, you know, and, and there's various other things that, that you should do. And that's just one example. Um, but most, most uh, React modals out there don't do that kind of a thing. And so Reach UI is, uh, is an attempt to uh, build an accessible foundation for everybody else's design systems. Yeah. Or, or just off the shelf. So, um, I've been, I've been running around doing workshops on react for years now. And, uh, I get a question a lot from people like, Hey, what's a, what's a good, what's a good off the shelf UI library that I can use. And I haven't really been able to recommend one since I've been doing react because, uh, either there's one of two things that, um, that don't kind of meet my requirements of what I would want out of a UI library. And, uh, the first one is that it's accessible. Most of them are not accessible. As I've been tweeting about Reach UI, I get a lot of people who reply and they say, hey, what about this library or what about that library? And within like five seconds of like going to their website and looking at their demos, I can break it uh, yeah. with just, just using the keyboard. Or, or they've got simple stuff like outline none on all of their buttons. <laughs> and, um, and so it only takes a couple of seconds to figure out that... Uh, you know, the people developing those component libraries, while they're great developers, uh, they don't have uh, the experience with accessibility that uh, I would like. So I can't recommend them for that reason. Or if they do a good job with accessibility, they're, uh, very, they're very concerned about the styling, right? Because it's a design system and it's got a brand and you got to change the styles. You've got to do a theme. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's hard if you're, you know, you're your company and you've got your designers you can't very well bring in some other company's component library and just go along with their designs. Your designers are going to have their own requirements and they want it to look like yeah. your app. Um, so you're pulling it in for accessibility reasons. It comes with all these nice accessibility features, but you're getting a bunch of stuff that you didn't ask for. That's now a big pain to work around in terms of just branding and stuff like that, which is, I actually had Ken C. Dodds on the podcast a while ago talking about um, not necessarily the accessibility point of that problem, but you know, just the idea of building these almost like headless UI components that just try and encapsulate the behavior that you want to encapsulate while making it really easy to customize how things look by basically giving control of rendering over to, to the end user using some of these patterns that people are using in React these days, like render props and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that's what uh, that's what my advanced uh, React workshop has always been about is giving rendering control back to uh, the developer um, so that you just handle the behavior of the thing um, and then they can style it, design it, make it look however they need it to look. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one tricky thing with going too far in that direction is now if you hand too much rendering back over to people, then uh, you're handing back over to them uh, the implementation of the accessibility. Yeah. You know, so if, if, if I'm building a, a drop-down component or a tree view and I don't actually render anything myself, um, I'm not guaranteed to be putting the correct roles mm-hmm. on the elements sure. um, or the right uh, ARIA attributes like uh, ARIA controls or ARIA labeled by. Um, 
and so it's it's a it's a delicate balance of like giving rendering control over to uh, the developer, but not so much that you're handing them over the implementation of accessibility. Yeah. So so maybe a good place, um, or maybe a good topic to get into here would just be kind of like what some of the elements are that you need to consider when you're trying to make a component um, accessible, and then I'd be I'd love to get into some of the challenges and trade-offs that you had to make with a specific library, like we were just talking about, how do you give flexibility while still making sure that you're giving someone the accessibility features that they, that they want. Um, so in terms of like what goes into making something accessible, uh, what are kind of the areas that, that you need to focus on to get things right there? Yeah. So the first is just, just markup. Okay. Like just, just plain old markup. Um, if you've got a uh, if you've got an interactive element that is not a link that doesn't change the location of your your app, it should be a button. End of story. Full stop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Almost end of story. This is uh, th- there's uh, uh, the accessibility world is funny because we we all have like such deep passion for what we're doing. You know, like there are very few righteous lines uh-huh. of code that you get to write, um, and uh, accessibility. Uh, let you write a lot of righteous code <laughs> that you feel very strongly about. Um, but yeah, I think I think almost every developer out there should just use a button for anything that's interactive that doesn't change the URL. Um, however, there are some projects like uh, React Native Web and uh, Twitter Lite is uh, built on top of that. And they've gone to great lengths. They've got like an 800 <laughs> line file for a button. Um, it's not a real button. Uh, it's, it's made out of uh, just divs. Okay. Um, but they've done a great job of um, making it accessible and actually making it really nice. There's there's funny things about buttons in um, in Firefox and Safari. Clicking a button does not take focus. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> when you click a button, document.activeElement is not the button. Um, and, th- and you get these kind of tricky little things where um, when you render. Man, I'm trying not to go into too many too many details. When you render a drop down and that little that little popover yep. drops down underneath the button, you actually don't want to render that in the same DOM context as the button. You want to render that in React. We call them portals. Um, yeah, but yeah. no matter what it is, you want to render it as a root element of the document body, so that it can escape any CSS that's going on. Yeah, so in you the don't parent. You know, Z index clipping issues or transforms being applied or, or yeah, or overflow yep, hidden yep, and yep. now you can't see the thing. So you want to render that thing in at the root of the document body. Um, so now you've got this trick where um, you need to manage focus, um, and that that would be the second thing. So the first thing is just just markup. You need good markup uh, to make things accessible. The second thing is managing focus, um, and the reason you want to manage focus is so that people using assistive technology. Don't get you know they don't click a button and then have no idea where to go. Sure. They would have to guess what changed on the page. So your your component needs to move the focus. So uh, with this this drop down uh, popover, uh, it's rendered in a different DOM context. And so when you move focus, um, you might need to know. Let, let's say that the drop down is open and they click outside of the drop down. So what you want to check is event.relatedTarget and then close the dropdown if the related target is not in the dropdown. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're, you're clicking away from it and so you want the thing to close. Yeah. Um, and so event.relatedTarget gets populated um, 
when something takes focus, like on the click. So you're going to have on click event dot related target. And that's the other thing that got clicked. Um, since buttons don't take focus <laughs> in Safari and Firefox, when you click the button, so let's say you click the button to open it and then you click the button again to close it, you're going to have a null related target. So you have nothing to check to see, um, am, I, am I clicking inside of the drop-down menu or am I clicking outside? Should I close it or open it? And that button already has a click handler to open the, the menu. So when you click the button to close it, it actually reopens it again because you don't have related target. Um, so that's a, that's a weird thing about buttons where React Native Web's div button, um, divs do populate event.related target. And so that would be a whole lot easier to implement uh, if you used a div button. Uh, instead, you have to do some async stuff to try to like check what, what now is the, is the focused element. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> uh, there, there, there's a split when you talk to people who are really into accessibility about buttons and then making a div work like a button. Um, you can make it work but most developers uh, probably can't <laughs> unless they, you know, like React Native Web's div button is almost a thousand lines of code. So that, that yeah. shows you just how hard it is uh, to, to make it work just like a button. Um, but, but it handles touch and all that kind of stuff too. But anyway, so uh, number one, uh, you want to consider just your markup. Most of the time, if it's not a link, use a button. Um, and then number two is managing focus. So like we just talked about with the dropdown menu, you want to move focus. Um, when, a when a modal pops open, you want to move focus to the first interactive element in the modal. Um, if you've got any other kind of popover, you want to move the focus to that popover. And anytime those things close, you need to move the focus back. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So there are two major problems with relying on your users to submit bug reports to you when they find something broken in your app. Number one, you can't discover all bugs this way. And number two, some users don't even bother submitting bug reports. They just wait for you to fix it, and if you don't, they just leave the service. Now, the best software teams practice proactive error monitoring, which means you detect all the errors in your production apps and services in real time, and then you can debug important errors in minutes or hours, often before your users even notice. Uh, teams from big companies you might have heard of like Twilio, CircleCI, Instacart, they use Rollbar to do this. With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all your errors so you know exactly what's broken in production, and Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug those errors so you don't have to waste time sifting through logs. Debugging errors with Rollbar is crazy fast. You get the exact stack trace linked directly into your code base, the request parameters to easily reproduce the issue yourself, a data on which user is affected so you know if it's the same user repeating the same error again, what browser and operating system, basically everything you need all in one place. They also have this awesome telemetry feature that's kind of like getting a black box recorder after a crash but for errors. It shows you all the browser events leading up to that error. Uh, so if you aren't using Rollbar already, there's a special offer just for full stack radio listeners. Head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you'll be able to sign up for their bootstrap plan for three months for free, uh, which would normally be 147 bucks. So you save a bunch of money and get to really test out the service. So thanks a ton to Rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio. Back to the show. So uh, something I've actually run into as a challenge myself when trying to implement some of this stuff, um, it kind of ties into what you're talking about with using portals. And maybe you have some some tips or strategies that you use to mitigate this stuff. But it feels like focus management and getting like the the tab order and stuff correct 
can be a real challenge when you're using portals and moving focus to something that's at the end of the page and then you want to tab again and have it go to like the item that was after the button that you originally clicked but now you've sort of lost the the place where you were in before stuff like that does that make sense is that that a challenge that that you've run into and and something and do you have any advice on, on dealing with situations like that almost every time you put a tab index on something you're probably making things worse than better (laughs) (laughs) um most of the time you should just rely on the dom order of things uh the the only the only tab index that i ever use is negative one okay and the reason you use negative one is because if you're using the tab key to navigate around a tab index of negative one will not be uh tabbable but what it does is it allows non-interactive elements like divs and spans and things like that to uh, be focused with JavaScript. So uh, when you pop open some, like a pop-up or something, it allows you to move focus to that thing without putting it in the tab order. Now, the problem that you were talking about, I think generally is mitigated by trapping focus. Okay. Um, so for example, in a modal, once the modal opens, the component should move focus into the modal and then never let the focus go out. So what about with a, with a dropdown? Should you still be trapping focus like within the dropdown menu items until the dropdown is closed? Yeah, so dropdowns are a lot easier than modals um, because you can, just, you can just watch for event.key equals tab and then event prevent default. So you just say, hey, if you're hitting tab while this dropdown is open, just don't do anything. Um, do you find... And that's what um, challenges for dealing with some of that stuff on mobile like um you know with like ios you have like your form field navigation like up and down arrows for example in the ui that aren't really the same as tab but sort of do the same thing yeah you know uh that i'm gonna have to be relying a lot on a lot of people in the community who are interested in this project for that stuff because i don't have a ton of experience on Uh mobile web i mean i've done i've done quite a bit but um honestly for the last uh three years since starting um uh, since leaving my previous job and doing just trainings and OSS full time, I haven't been in the accessibility game mm-hmm. as much as I was before because I've just been running a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and the app I built uh, at that previous job where I was really focused on accessibility, I didn't do a we didn't do a whole lot with the mobile web. We had native apps for uh, Got it. most of that stuff. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rely on people for that. Um, but in in general, uh, you know the 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 touch events um, are just triggered by click. Got you know, it. so if, if you did an outer click on a on a dropdown, um, your your touch is going to trigger that outer click as well, and it'll it'll go out. But um, mm-hmm. there, there's different UI you want to use, though, right? For like a dropdown, you probably don't want the dropdown. You probably want to like detect a smaller screen, and then do one of those like uh, one of those. Uh, I don't even know what you call them. Like those, they're they're basically like a modal, but they like slide up from the bottom, and then you've got like yeah, the three sure. or four choices. Yep. Um, and so I'm I'm intending to build one of those and recommending like, hey, if you're using a dropdown, um, you're going to want to do a media query. Yeah. And then use one of these instead of a dropdown. Yeah, that's a um, really good point actually, because there's a lot of times there's a lot of interfaces like that that make a lot of sense when you're using a mouse clicking around on a desktop, and um, I think sometimes we we sort of artificially constrain our imagination when it comes to like, what could we do with that on mobile? And, and it turns out like you could implement it as a completely different UI on mobile. It doesn't just have to be, 
you know, a, a bastardized version of of a dropdown, yeah. you could figure out like what is the the mobile optimized way to show this control. Uh, forgetting yep. that you know we're even tied to this idea of a dropdown, and how can we make that work on mobile? I think that's a, yeah, yeah. a really useful. Yeah, yeah. We just got a, a list of choices. Like we're trying to do something. You touch a thing. What's the right UI for this mm-hmm. size of screen? That's another weird distinction that we we've been talking native versus web for a long time, but like that's that's not how I think of it. I think of how big is your screen? Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's native or web. It's just what's the size of the screen? What's the right component for this? Yeah, and uh, and and React makes it really easy to to swap depending on the uh-huh. size of the screen. So speaking from like a, a code sort of implementation uh, perspective, we were talking about trapping focus um, for the, the listeners out there who've never had to implement something like that. Uh, what does it actually look like to open up a modal and make sure that the person can't <laughs> tab out of it and, and stuff like that? Um, it's, it's a little weird. I wish browsers gave us uh, more uh, there. Um, I've implemented myself a few times. Reach UI actually depends on a third party uh, thing called uh focus trap okay trap focus i can't remember i think it's focus dash trap from npm and it handles all of that for you got it um but basically um what you have to do is stick a uh a keyboard event ha- listener on like the root element of your dialogue and then um on on key down you have to check is this the tab key and then what you have to do is you have to check am i tabbing off of the last tabbable element in the dialogue, which means you need to hold a whole bunch of code to be able to do a query selector to figure out which elements are tabbable. Hmm. And so that requires quite a bit of knowledge about the DOM. Um, you know, an, an anchor tag with an href is tabbable. An anchor tag without an href is yeah. not tabbable. <laughs> um, yeah, because you so, can use an anchor tag with just like a name attribute, right? To just yeah. kind of, yeah. Um, I think that's deprecated in DOM three or four or okay. something, but, but doesn't matter. It'll it'll still behave like dom3 um so yeah so you got to figure out okay what are my tabbable elements inside of here and then when the user hits tab are we on the very last one if we're on the very last one the browser wants to move it to the next thing in the dom um but we want it to stay inside of the modal uh and actually you don't want it inside the modal you want it to now go to what the browser would do if it was the last thing, which is go to the browser Chrome, okay. right? Go up to the address bar yeah, and through yeah, the tabs yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then when it comes back in, uh, you've got to have a listener on the document to say, okay, when, when focus comes into the window, uh, if the modal's open, yeah. yeah, if the modal's open and it was a tab key, uh, then let's now go focus the first tabbable element. Um, so it, it can, there's a lot of there's a lot of edge cases. If you want to really see what they all are, go open up that uh, focus trap npm module, and you can see all of the considerations. Uh, it has to deal with uh, it deals with a lot of like clicks and stuff. Um, so if it, if you go and you click somewhere else, you have to be like, nope, you don't get a click over there. We're moving focus back to where it was. Yeah. Um, and then finally, you've got to save the element that opened the modal, because when the modal closes you need to go back and focus that element. Mm-hmm. And if that element's gone, maybe you submit a form in the modal and then the page behind you changes, then uh, you need to you need to go move the focus there too. Um, if you're using something like Reach Router, which is a new router that I built, um, it manages focus for you. And so that's kind of nice. If you have a modal, you submit a form and then you redirect to somewhere else or navigate to another page. 
when that, uh, the modal will close, the new page shows up and then retrouter will go and focus, um, the changed content of the page automatically for you. So that's what I'm trying to build is, is all these things together that, um, that work really nicely. And yeah, you generally don't have to think a whole lot about managing focus and it will just do it for you. Awesome. Yeah. So I think maybe the next thing on the list after, after focus management, I guess would be just other maybe keyboard navigation related stuff. Um, in yeah. general. Yeah. So after, after focus management, um, you need, and not just keyboard, right? You want, you want good touch handlers, um, all that kind of stuff. But generally we're, when you're working with, uh, accessibility, if you've got a component and you're trying to make it accessible, it, there's a whole lot of code just for keyboard management. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a document called Way Aria Practices, W-A-I-A-R-I-A, Way Aria Practices. If you Google that, you'll pull it up and it's got a, a list of a whole bunch of, um, of uh, common components on the web. And each of these components has a role. You've seen the role prop on divs, um, like role button, role dialog, role menu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each one of these roles um, has kind of the spec that has, it's a loose spec. Um, some of them, you're like, it's kind of left up to the developer to decide exactly what to do. Like, do I do this on key up or key down? Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um there's basically a spec. If you go and click on any of those, you can see that uh, it describes all of the keyboard interactions that should happen inside of this thing. So, so what happens is someone using a screen reader, they click a button, um, drop down opens, and uh, since you have a roll menu, the screen reader switches modes, and, uh, and sometimes I call it application mode. Um, and so now, it uh, instead of doing the normal keyboard shortcuts for the screen reader to move uh, the the cursor around and stuff, yeah, it announces to the user like, "Hey, you're in a menu," and then um, a screen reader user uh, will know how to navigate a menu. And so the screen readers and the developers and the screen reader user all need to be on the same page about uh, what to do next. So now that we're in a drop down menu, you use the up and down arrow keys, uh, not tab. Yeah, uh, a lot of yeah, drop downs okay. people use tab, but uh, that's that's not the key. Uh, you're supposed to use up and down. <coughs> um, and then uh, and yeah, and the uh, the screen reader will announce to them like, "Hey, you're on a menu item. If you want to select this, push this button." Um, yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of keyboard navigation uh, inside of these things, or like a, a tabs component. If you have roll tabs, yeah. And when you're on a tab, if you if you hit uh, talking about tabs is so confusing because we have a tab key yeah, as well. Sure. So. If you hit the tab key, it should go like, uh, let, let's say you're on a button above the tabs. Yep. You hit tab. Now it'll go focus the first tab or, or the, actually the active tab. Yeah, like the, you, the active content area for that tab? Uh, no, just the tab, the the interactive piece, the actual like okay. clickable tab. And then if you hit tab again, it should not move through the tabs mm-hmm. of the tab component. Um, it should actually now go to the next foc- focusable item in the page. But a lot of tab uh, implementations, they have all the tabs just as like links or buttons. Got it. Uh, and uh, and then you'll tap through them, but that's that's not the way it's supposed to work. Once you enter a roll tab, you should be using the left and the right arrow keys to move between them. So um, once you're in that sort of that 
that list of tabs, you almost have to think about that as like one kind of UI widget, basically. Like exactly. you're tabbing to that and then you can tab out of it. And tab is sort of how you navigate the pieces of the website, but each piece might have its own controls for how you actually work with it once you're inside of it. Yeah, exactly. Think about a input type radio. Mm-hmm. When, when you have a bunch of radio uh, inputs that all have the same name, when you tab to one of those and then you hit tab again, it doesn't go to the next one. Yeah, you're right. Um, use the arrow keys to move between them. And uh, and tabs, a tab component is really similar to that where, like you said, you think about it as one thing uh, yeah. rather than a bunch of little links and stuff. Cool. And sometimes people will like say, you know what, with tabs, why don't we just not put the role and let's just have a bunch of anchor links and a bunch of content. Um and it's tempting to think that way, and, and it's it's probably fine to do it like that. Um, good for SEO and stuff like that. But um, the reason we put tabs for someone who's navigating your page visually is because you're saying, hey, you know what? This stuff isn't super important, and we're just trying to cram a lot of content into one spot. Um, it's the same for someone using a screen reader. If, if your design is saying, hey, here's a bunch of stuff we're just going to tuck away into a tabs widget, um, the screen reader user probably doesn't want to have to navigate through all that junk sure. as well. Yeah, like it's not fair to communicate that information to uh, someone who yeah. doesn't have any sort of visual impairment as part of the design and not communicate that same information using some other means uh, to someone who's navigating your site in a different way. Yeah, now you got to read through, you know, 20,000 words <laughs> inside of these tabs to get the next thing where yeah. uh, someone who's navigating visually doesn't. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so that would be, I guess that's the the third one is yeah. um, is keyboard navigation. Got it. So something that we haven't talked about uh, that I'm not an expert in at all and would love to learn more about what you know about this stuff is just kind of how all like the ARIA stuff and attributes and all these things that you see people throwing on stuff, uh, you know, actually, actually works and um, what the best way to kind of get started implementing some of that stuff correctly is on your own stuff. Uh, so what have you had to do with some of that stuff uh, with the reach UI uh, components? So the first rule of ARIA is don't use ARIA. <laughs> okay. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, the only thing worse than, than uh, not having the right ARIA roles and attributes is having the wrong ones. Okay. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I worked with somebody once who uh, said, He's like, you know, before before I came here, uh, we just made up roles. Like we knew that we we're supposed <laughs> to stick roles on divs, and so we just made them up. <laughs> um, and that that happens a lot. You know, we we hear a little bit about accessibility, and so we're like, oh, cool, I want to try to do this. And um, if if you if you do it wrong, sometimes it's worse than not doing it at all. Um, and and honestly, that's I I don't want uh, my <laughs> I don't, I don't think that everybody needs to be who's building UI on the web needs to be an ARIA expert. Okay. Uh, it'd be cool if they were, uh, but there are just so many things to know in front-end web development. Like, uh, you know, am I supposed to know everything? Should I be able to write SVGs from from scratch <laughs> and be able to know all of the ARIA roles and all the keyboard navigation mm-hmm. uh, for all of those components? I, I don't think so. Um, the Developing for the web is getting so big that uh, I don't think it's possible for someone for most of us anyway, most of us aren't like these super smart people. Like we think that everyone else is, uh, but they aren't, they're as dumb as we are. Um, there's only a few things that, uh, I think that you can be like a really deep expert with Mm -hmm. and with, uh, with these ARIA attributes and ARIA roles, 
uh, we can we can tuck that stuff up into components, just like we did with jQuery UI, just like we did with Dojo Digit. We can do that in React as well. Um, and so that's that's my goal with Reach UI. Is uh, the answer to your, your question would be, you shouldn't have to. Uh, you should be able to bring yeah. in these components, and then uh, and then they'll handle it for you. Um, but to I, actually answer the question, oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. Um, just that document I was talking about the uh, the Aria practices doc. Just yeah. spend an afternoon and read through that whole thing. Um, uh, that's that's it. Like that's that's how you do it. Those are the correct roles. It tells you um, exactly what to put on them. Um, and uh, if you can't use a screen reader, then you're going to just kind of be working in the dark. Um, uh, <laughs> actually, I close my eyes when I'm using a screen reader, so I am working in the dark on yeah. purpose. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll want to get a little bit familiar with the screen reader. You don't have to you don't have to be great at a screen reader to start uh, trying it out. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're trying to add Aria attributes and stuff onto your elements, um, you better be using a screen reader at the same time. Otherwise, you might just be screwing everything up. Um, what's what's the easiest way for someone to to spin up a screen reader? Um, you know, in their environment, like like what are you using to test that sort of thing? Uh, so if you're on a Mac, you can actually use the Siri button on the touch bar. First mm-hmm. time that's useful. And, um, <laughs> I hit that thing on accident all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, hit, hit the, uh, the Siri button and say, turn on voiceover and, uh, make sure you use Safari because that's where you're going to get the best support. Um, and then, uh, it's going to turn on voiceover and voiceover is pretty good. It tells you kind of what to do. Um, so you can just take your mouse and click close to the button that you're trying to mess around with and then hit tab and then the screen reader will start talking to you and it'll be like, Hey, you're currently on a button to interact with this button, press control option space. And so you do that, um, click clicking in a screen reader is, is usually different than clicking. Normally there's special keyboard commands for interacting with elements and moving in and out of things. Um, but yeah, do, do that. Um, you can Google, uh, voiceover safari shortcuts or a cheat sheet or something like that and uh, it will kind of tell you how to move um move around uh like i said earlier the the first rule of aria is don't use aria um the second thing that happens a lot is people start to use the screen reader but they aren't very good at it Hmm. and uh and so then they start writing code to work with their understanding of the screen reader rather than what a screen reader user would understand what to do uh so for instance i uh, did a code review once where someone had gone and added tab index zero to every div on the page that had content because they didn't know how to move the virtual cursor in a screen reader around (laughs) to read those things so they put a tab index on it so that they could tab to each one of those things and have it read um so again it's it's ah man it's 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 tricky um you gotta you gotta know a lot you gotta know how to use a screen reader decently well um, and you've got to implement the Aria stuff, uh, well in order for it, for you to, you know, be confident that you've, you've done it right. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, it's, I call it the great paradox of accessibility <laughs> is that it's really inaccessible <laughs> to learn. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't take a ton, uh, a ton of work, but make sure that you read the documentation on how to use your screen reader. Uh, if you're on windows, um, I really like, uh, NVDA, okay. uh, so V as in like visual, N-V-D-A. 
and uh, pair that up with Firefox for the best experience. Um, and that's a free screen reader on Windows. That one I really like. You can just move your mouse over the top of text and it'll read the text. Um, and uh, yeah, the voice is awful though on that one compared to <laughs> VoiceOver. VoiceOver has a pretty nice voice. NVDA is super computer voice. Cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's how you can get started. Cool. Um, but just make sure you kind of learn a little bit about how to use a screen yeah. reader. Um, otherwise, you might again make your make your app less accessible by uh, putting band aids on it for your ability to use a screen reader yeah. rather than what a screen reader user knows how to do. Makes sense. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, So here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, So you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, This is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter, and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, So there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL-based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, You can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, You can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, You get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan Uh, so if you're not already using them definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out it really is one of my absolute favorite services that i use on my own projects thanks a ton to cloudinary for sponsoring this episode back to the show on the topic of the aria stuff a little bit i've been poking around sort of the reach ui uh, documentation a little bit you know just kind of taking things in here or there and I noticed in some of the examples you're using like Aria Hidden, for example, to add to an element that I'm guessing, you know, you don't want the screen reader to uh, announce or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, I've seen people use things like role presentation for stuff like that, too. Do you know like what the exact difference is between those or when you should be using one or the other? Um, you know, I've never really understood role presentation, to tell you the truth. I've always just used Aria Hidden. Okay. If I didn't want it announced, uh, that that's a thing that's actually on my to do list to like go and tease apart. Like, when would I recommend presentation versus hidden? Um, Got it. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. Cool. Yeah, I don't know either. So that's why I was kind of curious. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Now, no, it, you, you got to be careful with that. Uh, you don't just want to hide things from screen readers all the time. Um, you only want to hide some things like uh, in, in the docs in Reach UI, mm-hmm. what I'm hiding is the drop down arrow yeah. for a drop down button uh, because a screen reader will already say that they're on a button for um, a menu. For a menu, yeah. So they already know that it's this thing, so they don't need extra stuff to tell yeah. them. Yeah. You know, downward pointing triangle is what yeah, it exactly. say to them. Kind of comes back to what we were talking about a little bit, you know, earlier, where it's like, in this case, that that arrow exists to communicate to someone who's like interpreting the page visually that like this is going to open a menu. But for yeah. someone using a screen reader, that same information is is getting communicated to them too, but it's getting communicated to them in a way that's, you know, makes more sense and is more efficient for the way that they're navigating the page. So that piece that only exists to communicate that to people navigating the page visually just really serves no purpose to someone who's, yeah. who's navigating and the then- page with a screen reader. And then there's the inverse of that where um, you have like a close button inside of a modal and most of us use the times uh, yeah. character. And so if you're using a screen reader, you're going to focus that and it's going to say times, <laughs> <laughs> which most screen reader users now know that that means close. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure they do. Because <laughs> it's just so common. But uh, so in that case, you would want to um, uh, you'd want to hide that. But then you need to give them some other uh, text. And so that's where the visually hidden component comes in. And uh, so now it's the inverse of aria hidden. You have visually hidden. And so you would aria hide the times character, you know, wrap it in a span. And then right next to it, you would render a visually hidden component and you would say close inside of there. And so now uh, we're, we're, we're hiding one thing from visual readers or users and uh, showing something to audio readers. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then vice versa. So what is kind of the state of the art these days in terms of uh, making something visually hidden? I know I've seen so many different like CSS implementations of this over the years with all sorts of funkiness going on. Um, what approach did you take for, for reach? I, I did the, uh, the clip one where it's like clip zero, 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 zero. Yeah. Um, and then like throw it all off to the side. Um, that one that's been, that's been tried and true for years. So got it. That's what I use. Uh, I think I reference it to like, uh, I can't remember the original article that uh, I first saw for that. It's like from 2011 or yeah. I don't know. Oh, what was it called? HTML5 boilerplate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that that's, sounds uh, right. I think that's where I first saw it. And uh, it's probably changed a little bit over the years, but yep. Cool. It's sort of a shame that there's, I mean, there must be some flaw with this that I'm not thinking of, but that there's not just like an ARIA attribute or something that's like (laughs) ARIA content equals or something, you know, something that you can just put in there that screen readers can read without having to, you know, throw stuff off the side of the page and make it invisible (laughs) and and all this stuff. Uh, Uh, You know, that's, that's what gives the web its personality. It's true, right? (laughs) You got, you got your, you got your old truck and uh, in order to like close the door, you have to kind of like lift up on it and then push it in. Right. Or, you know, (laughs) everything we love has its little quirks for sure. And and, uh, that's how I view the web. So, um, so maybe something that would be good to get into a bit now is uh, just what some of the challenges have been in, in building reach UI, especially things that maybe uh, you didn't expect to run into as challenges because there's always those unknown unknowns with any, any project that you dive into. So what have been some of the, the most difficult aspects of the project so far? Um, so one of the, one of the primary goals is um, to only ship as much CSS as you need. Mm-hmm. Um, for it to be usable off the shelf, 
uh, because like I was saying before, there there's there's two problems with mo- most of the UI libraries out there in React is either they aren't accessible or they tie you into a brand or a or a method for styling or, or both. <laughs> yeah. They tie you into brand and they aren't accessible. Um, and so I'm trying to do the exact opposite of that. Give you components that are accessible, um, but are not tied into any sort of styling or brand or theme or anything. Um, and so it's, it's a little tricky to try to do that uh, because I do need some styles. And in React, we have a trillion different ways to style your sure. components um, and a lot of opinions on all of them. And so I, I decided to just go all the way to the bottom and say, you know what, I'm just giving you some CSS files. Um, you need to import them into your build. And, uh, and then I put some data attributes on them so that you can style them you know, by quote unquote tag name. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to style every button in your app, you can just do a button style in your CSS. Same thing, you could do like a data-reach-menu-button and you could style all of the uh, menu buttons in your app. Um, and so with this approach, uh, I'm able to let people uh, use whatever they want for styling. So include my base CSS somehow. I'm building a Webpack plugin that will uh, will identify that you brought in um, you know, reach alert or reach menu dial or menu button and automatically include them for you. And that'll be nice, but, um, you got to include that CSS. And then from there you can use emotion, you can use a class name, you can use the style attribute, whatever you want. And so that, that's been a little bit tricky and not so much tricky as just like a hard decision because it's really yeah. nice to pull in a component and it brings all of its styles with it. Um, but I can't, I can't really just do that without having a strong opinion on, well, you need to use emotion or you yeah. need to use glamour. And I, I refuse to do that. So um, I don't think your component library should dictate um, how you style your app. And I really don't like those theme providers either where it's like, here, just give us give us a big theme and we'll theme all of this stuff. Um, you might as well have a style sheet if that's what you're doing. Sure. You know, that's not it's not really different. So um, so that's been that's been a hard uh hard choice um but i'm keeping the styles as minimal as possible so when people want to build a design system on top they can either bring in those styles or literally just like look at my style sheet and make that a part of your design system and just don't even include mine but just make sure you bring in those pieces of the css so almost like almost like it's a spec right like you want to build on top of reach menu um make sure that you bring in these styles as a baseline uh you can define them on your own if you want um so that's been a hard part um I think the second thing is uh, is funding. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, open source doesn't typically pay you money, um, and so when I when I started React training, I was working on React Router a lot. But then uh, you just get so busy, uh, you know, running around doing a couple workshops every month, and the sales cycle for all of that, and and invoicing, and getting paid by people, and uh, staying motivated. Sometimes you just stare at your screen like will I ever get another paycheck? What am I going <laughs> to do today? Um, and so I've, I've been, uh, I'm a little worried about uh, the money coming in uh, to support this because I really, really want these components to be out there. I want yeah. React to be known for accessibility. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard problem. It's, it's always a shame that like, um, you know, some of the most impactful work that you can do really is open source stuff because it, it reaches the largest amount of people and everyone mm-hmm. can use it, you know, for free. So 
it's just out there and so many people get to benefit from it. And that's the hardest work to be able to get paid for, even though it's the work that, (laughs) you know, is is the most important work that you're really kind of doing professionally a lot of the time. And and honestly, it's been, uh, it's, I've I've gotten paid for that. Um, Not directly, but, um, you know, I've I've made decent money running around doing uh, workshops for the last few years on React. And that was all directly because of uh, whatever uh, reputation I have from sure. uh, helping to build a React router. Um, but if you go and look at my GitHub commits, uh, you can see when I started React training. Yeah. Um, it's and, green, I mean, green, 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 and then like it just stops. And that's the, the hard thing, right? Because you're basically like the, the model these days is, um, you know, find something else that you can do to help support, to fund your open source stuff. So you can work on the open source stuff and keep that free or whatever. But what someone's really asking you to do when they say that is like, come up with this miracle business that only really takes like 10 hours a week (laughs) of your time, but pays you a 40 hour a week salary. So you can spend like, oh, if only that were so easy. Well, and then you got Uh, the opportunity cost too, because at this point I can go and interview for, you know, like staff and principal engineer uh, Mm -hmm. level jobs, which, which pay really well. And so, uh, my, my attempt on this is, um, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot consistently throughout the year and, uh, it, it's really hard to, to switch modes quickly. You know, like I just got home from a trip now I'm going to work on open source. Like it doesn't work like that. Now you got to do the invoice. Now you got to like, yeah. you got to like build up a the next sale and, stuff and yeah. And so, um, you know, I got to talk to meetups about marketing my next workshop. So, um, uh, I was talking to my spouse and we were like, why don't we just smash all of these public workshops together? So I'm doing starting October 1st in New York City, uh, seven weeks of workshops where I'm going to hit like 12 or 13 cities. Awesome. So I'll be doing two cities a week. Um, and the hope is like just kind of go into like earn money mode, um, make some money on those workshops, put the money in the bank, and then I should be free uh, for several months, maybe even a year um, to be able to just focus on ReachUI and, and get the thing all built out. Um and then additionally, I've got uh, my online courses where it's a 15 or $20 a month subscription. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that will work too. I, I don't want to do like a Patreon where it's just like, hey, just pay me to build open source. I want to give people something more than, than that. Um, and uh, so yeah, I'll be working on those courses too and hopefully get enough subscribers to you know keep it going. So uh, I guess probably not the answer you were <laughs> thinking of, but uh, that's, that's probably the biggest... Uh, biggest hurdle right now is totally is keeping funding so have you thought um, have you thought about doing like like i think the, the most successful open source funding models that i've seen have basically been around like corporate sponsorship for for example like evan who does view gets to work full-time on view and it's through patreon but really patreon is just um, a vehicle for corporations to sponsor the project at pretty high dollar value sponsorships you know like two thousand yeah. dollars a month um, that sort of thing. Like, I don't think he's making a living off of the people paying five dollars a month to have their name in a markdown file in the repo or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, something like Reach is, um, you know, it's a project that I think is has the potential to be like a really important project. You know what I mean? So, I bet you there's uh, there's people out there who have budgets for things that you know would would be willing to throw something your way. Um, yeah, to build totally. Something like this. Um, Usually what ends up happening is we just do a private workshop instead. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I make more money and they're more, they, they can get their boss to write a check for that. Sure. Um, 
so that's why I haven't gone that route, but I've, I've thought about it. Um, and maybe, maybe one day I'll do that. Uh, just gotta get, just gotta prove that it's worth, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, supporting, yeah, I, I mean, guess, it's first. early stage project right now, but I've really, you know, I think, um, I think it's got a lot of potential to be a really important project. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, we, we can abstract it. Like there's so much of this that we, that is possible to abstract. And, uh, I'm telling you every time, every time I tweet about it, someone again says, Hey, what about this one? And like I said, it only takes five seconds to break it. So, totally. um, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be the accessibility savior here. I just want a, uh, and I'm not capable of building this thing all by myself. Uh, to make it as good as a, it, I want it to be and as it needs to be. Um, but what I really want is just this the space that we can all, um, you know, I'll lead the project and I'll make sure it happens, uh, but I'm going to need the help of a lot of people um, to make it really solid. And then um, all of these design systems can build on top of it and, and React is just, it's known for being really accessible because we have this great community uh, uh, base layer of accessible components. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you see... Um people basically like creating their own UI libraries or reach UI is like the base and they're basically creating like a styled version of it for the people who do want those sort of like off the shelf. Yeah, exactly. Um, really opinionated styled UI frameworks. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Like I don't, I don't ship a grid. I don't ship a, a button component. I don't ship um, a cool looking alert. My, my alert has zero styles. It literally yeah. just makes sure that the screen reader reads it as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the hope is uh, these higher level design systems, not higher level design systems. Any design system is higher level than what I'm what I'm building. But at the same time, um, it's intended to be an off the shelf solution as well. You know, like you you should be able to just bring in something from Reach UI um, and just use it. And as long as you don't have a designer who doesn't like the way it looks, um, it'll it'll be there and work. Beautiful. Cool, man. Well, maybe that's a, a good place to start wrapping things up. What's the best way for people to sort of keep up with what you're doing and learn more about, um, you know, your online courses, this workshop tour you're doing, stuff like that? Yeah, uh, just follow me on Twitter. Just uh, Ryan Florence on Twitter is the best way. Um, I should probably start in a mailing list. Uh, mm. And then uh, second, um, I have a community on uh, with on uh, Spectrum. Okay. So don't know if you've seen Spectrum or not yet. Uh, it's a really great uh, project a website. So go to spectrum.chat slash reach. Cool. And uh, there's a couple hundred, 300 people on there now. Um, and so I'll, I make announcements there, uh, talk about APIs, uh, that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I can, that's kind of my mailing list, I guess. Uh, awesome. Just because I like that you got the real time chat. For sure. And then uh, reach.tech, that's your main kind of website where all this stuff lives? Yep, reach.tech. Right there, you can get to my workshops, you can get to my online courses, um, talk about private training there, you can uh, get in contact with me, buy tickets to the workshops. Um, The homepage kind of has announcements there too. And eventually I'll have a blog, but uh, I've been been a little busy to make that happen yet. Yeah, there's always more to be done for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got to get comfortable with that. Uh, you're always going to have a giant to-do list. So if you yeah. can't be at peace knowing that there's a lot to do, you'll never <laughs> be at peace. Awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for giving me your time and coming on to talk to me about this stuff. I learned a lot and I'm really excited to see um, where you take the, the project and kind of what comes of it over the coming months. 
Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Adam. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ryan Florence. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 97. Thanks to Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you enjoyed the show, uh, be sure to head over to iTunes or your podcast player website of choice and drop us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.